You know what? Here's what I've learned in the past three months um, is that you don't want to talk to someone who owns property in New York about how everyone's moving out of New York. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Didn't mean to pour salt in the wound. (laughs) Hello. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast. I'm Ben Popper here with my co-hosts, Paul and Sarah. Good morning, y'all. Hey, good morning. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Paul. So this morning, my dad, who's visiting, asked me, Ben, what's Snowflake? And I said, I don't know, cloud, data, something based. I don't know. This is actually, that's a very risky question from a dad. Like, you know, <laughs> it could be that he was reading the wrong part of Twitter and he's like, I need to understand right, these right. snowflakes. Right, it could right. be that he put his whole retirement fund in the Snowflake and needs to right. know. Either somebody called him a snowflake or he invested in snowflake. It was hard to know. But he plays the market, so I guess IPO. They had a big IPO, and I was reading up on it. And so just see if you can help me sort of unpack this sentence and then explain why this would be a useful tool for you know modern tech stack, modern developers, modern software companies. It says, Snowflake produces database software that uses the same standard as Oracle, but can be used in the cloud and scaled up and down as needed with variable pricing to match. While there are other large U.S. cloud providers like Amazon and Microsoft and Google Alphabet that offer similar services, Snowflake is the only standalone company offering such software to run on all of those, their cloud platforms. There's not really a pure play company on the market like Snowflake, said independent technology investment analyst Beth Kindig. So they're a startup. They're a pure play. It's data in the cloud. Is there anything special and interesting here? What happened? Why are they in the news? Help me understand this. They went public, and it was a very successful IPO. Yeah, they and started their IPO at 120, it looks like. They kicked it off at 120. Yeah, it went up to 250, and they're, now their Snowflake is worth $70 billion. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I know I know what – I remember this. Yeah, I, now is a great time to buy a house in the mountains and get into making your own jams because if that's what's happening <laughs> with our market in cloud services mid-pandemic – there is. I, I'm on board with you with that, but I feel like we've been saying that for five years, and I've been putting on my safety belt it's just, every time. Just gonna get wor- it's just going to be a worse crime. Right. <laughs> no, okay, okay. I mean, here's where my brain goes, right? First of all, it's been around for a while. Good for Snowflake. Gotta be frank, I pay a little bit of attention to this world. Never popped up on my radar. So clearly, problems with me. Yeah, no, actually, this happened. This is something I went through last year, actually, because some folks at Snowflake reached out for some help with the, you know, managing their questions in the community. We have a report that we run every so often that shows us the trajectory of certain tags, right? Like the growth rate, what tags are growing. They popped up on that chart just growing super quickly. So they've definitely been growing fast in our ecosystem. So they have a product that has a, a tremendous trajectory. And like many tech IPOs, big revenue growth and bigger losses. That's uh, a story I've also heard before. Would you agree (laughs) with the market that they're worth more than Dell? I don't know that software companies are more worth more than like a thousand dollars. No, just kidding. (laughs) The the like 50 billion, 60 billion. And then like you look and it's like Ford worth 500 million. And you're like, how does any of this make sense? This is all pretend and lives in computers. So I mean, I don't know. Sure, sure. Stocks is all about projections of future earnings. So if you can be like, look, my chart is going up and to the right. As long as it doesn't, it doesn't change. People are like, wow, well, someday you'll be worth infinite money. 
and then they will accept a pretty bonkers value. Friends, right? this should not be taken as a future-looking statement. This is just based on past <laughs> performance and Ben's deep understanding <laughs> of stonks. All right, the other story I thought I'd bring to you this morning was a little tweet I saw. There's some new stuff that just arrived from GitHub. Take the command line to the next level. Does this interest you? Would this change the way you work day to day? So like one thing that if you use GitHub often, and especially if you're like moving between repositories, is that Mm -hmm. you find yourself often switching from the CLI to the web as you like start creating pull requests and doing other things. So I think the ability to create pull requests from the CLI is very interesting and allows for less of a context switch. I think it would take getting used to. I'm looking forward to trying it. But it seems like you can do a lot more, which, I mean, it seems like this is a long time coming. I mean, it's a long, it's like 10 years coming. (laughs) Yeah. Will this allow me to never again have to create a repository locally, go to GitHub, create the repository, and then copy and paste that? That would be so nice. That's all I want to do. I want to upload a repository directly to GitHub without having to go through it. Well, apparently you can. Look at that. That's 90%. They make your day so much. 90% of my <laughs> yeah. GitHub yeah. usage is some crappy four-file repository. I, I made a deal with myself that I will have a folder called dev and that all my little weekend projects and so forth will actually live in there and then end up on GitHub version controlled so that, yeah. like, just so I have a record because I, I work on these projects and then I'll go back. This will happen to both of you. Bless you. You go back and you're like, oh, I actually built that four years ago. <laughs> because it's it's just the same like dictionary files over and over again. Good job, GitHub. Thank you. I'm glad you're... Uh, yeah, looking forward to using it. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun when people build little things like that where it's like, yeah, this is this is 10 seconds out of every hour that I just despise. And now I can skip that part. That's great. It's good of them because very few of their users actually use the command line to use Git, a command line utility. So <laughs> it's great for them to recognize. Ironically, it's in the name. Yeah. Yeah. It does seem like, why so long? Well, product roadmaps, Sarah. <laughs> product roadmaps, you know? That Jira ticket for make it actually yeah. usable for the users, like that was just sitting there. It just hasn't been mm-hmm. a prioritized. <laughs> you know what's funny is that, you know, they just started doing their public roadmap. So maybe it could, those uh, things could be linked. You know they oh. don't use Jira. I should be really clear. Of course they use. GitHub issues? Oh, no. What was the one that started with Red that was based on Ruby? There was, Oh, there have been so many. But they better use GitHub issues. Yeah. The other day we were talking about VS Code and how popular it was and how that had changed quite a bit over the last like five or 10 years. And then I saw a story that they were going to sort of deprecate that, slowly take it away and like merge those same things into GitHub because they want everybody to just basically be in one place. Did you see that? I know. So that I saw that. I saw that you linked that. It wasn't VS Code. It was oh. um, VS Code Cloud or something like that. Mm, it was basically okay. like the cloud version of like where you can ID in the cloud. Gotcha, gotcha. The VS Code is still alive and well. Okay, great. I was wondering why they would get rid of something that was so, so popular. I don't know why those don't fully catch on. I can't, like, it should be really obvious. Remember Cloud9? I do, yeah. I do. Like, it should be like, it should be like I open my browser and I start coding. I think Glitch does a good job with this. Like, they all do. And then somehow I am starting another freaking project in Emacs yeah. on my desktop. Yeah, somehow you got me from from Vim to Visual Studio Code, but you can't get me past that. And I don't know why, because it's, you know what I really want? I, I actually love, especially for JavaScript, like I, I want that live inspectable view and the REPL and, and like it's almost there. We're almost where like Smalltalk was in 1979, but not quite. Yeah. Sarah, you had a very important thing to talk about. 
it's actually a very important thing. I'm, I'm being a little ironic, but it's, it's serious. They're doing something interesting over at, in, in JavaScript land. Yeah, so this week we heard the news that Moment.js is being um, not sunset, but they're not addressing new issues. And All right, so wait, what's Moment.js for the, those of us who've never had to program JavaScript date time? So Moment.js is something that solves the hardest problem in programming, which is uh, dates and mm. time zones. And it is, it's been a juggernaut. Like it, it's just part of life. Yeah, it's, it's a huge, it's a huge library. And this is another case where as open source maintainer, you just want to be done. You don't want to be, you know, this is, I've done my work. You're welcome. This is finished. And you can still have it if you want to. And people really don't like to hear that. But we're human beings. We're not machines. Well, you know what? That is built into the culture. Like, if you go look at the FTP site, for, like, when's the last time that said and grep got a significant update? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People do keep eyes on them. And there are kind of owners. But they're not. Nobody's full-time job right now, I don't think, is grep. Someone's listening right now really upset. <laughs> Oof, this will be a rough one to admit, but I do like to go read the source code of Unix utilities because like Cal and stuff like that, like you're half the time I'm like, oh no, not for me. But half the time you're like, this is so incredibly obvious. I learned a lot about how to think about computers. Oh, uh, that's great. So those worlds change, but they change very, very slowly. And so Moment, I mean, I really feel that this model, so first of all, let's be clear, like Moment served its time beautifully, but it also was very mutable. And so like there were some definite scrambled egg moments when you're using it, even though it was it was clear about what it was doing. It's just sort of like it inherited some of the complexity of date and time. And Luxon, its replacement, which is done by the same people, has a much more sort of functional interface than Moment does, which is kind of the whole way that JavaScript has gone. And so like they did a good job. They're going to support all the code that's out there. I'm sure that there will be security fixes. But yeah, call it done. Date and time doesn't need to change anymore for you. Yeah, and another thing that came of this, though, that I thought was really interesting, and it's unclear to me, chicken and egg kind of thing, if this led to moment being sunset, or uh, I don't know the right word here, because it's not being sunset, it's just not being maintained anymore, maybe. Gen so yeah, maybe. it's like gently, it's end of life, yeah. right? It's gently deprecated. End of life. Except it's open source, so it'll be around for, it can be around for 100 years if people want it to. As long as GitHub yeah. doesn't IP. And then, wait, does, has GitHub IPO? GitHub's owned by Microsoft, Sarah. Where, oh, never mind. Yeah. yeah. Has Microsoft IPO? Are you, are, <laughs> you should talk to somebody from the .NET Governance Foundation. <laughs> What's a mutual uh, fund? Uh, I like that. Okay. We need to search for the word, right? Like gently put out to pasture, Not do not resuscitate, right? It's like, yeah. no, don't fix it anymore. But also we're not going to like, right, shut it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the one chicken and egg thing here is that something that happened around the same time was that Chrome, the inspector tool in Lighthouse, it started flagging Moment as a library you should replace. So they started, they added a new feature to Lighthouse and it will tell you. So if you look at the feature, if you actually look at the picture that it gives you, the vibe you get or like what I thought looking at this was, oh, okay, this, this tool is actually looking for larger libraries and letting me know. So it's doing it by size. But actually what I learned was it's not doing it by size. The, the Lighthouse team is actually flagging specific libraries that they think people should 
not use. And Moment was mm. one of them. It is time to upgrade for Moment. It's true. Luxana makes life a lot easier. There's a couple other ones that are really good. I think, though, that it's kind of, it's a little bit scary that the Chrome DevTools team is deciding what libraries should be used and what aren't. I know mm. that there's a bunch on, like, I know that they've been reaching out to some other folks to see if they can recommend it. The way the tool is communicated is different than what it actually Your is. Your argument is that mm-hmm. they should be more of a neutral party unless there's like an obvious security issue? Yeah, exactly. Like if you want to do it on size, do it on size, right? Like look at all the libraries I'm using. If there's a really big one, say, hey, here's this really big one. You know, like maybe you should be using something different. But for them to determine a list of libraries they're no longer fans of, I don't know, this little concern. In my heart, yeah, I know yeah. you're right. In my head, I've stopped caring, and I don't know who I am right now. Like, there's a part of me that's just like, yeah, whatever. That thing, man, when that thing would catch you on a, on a mutable date variable, you would really be in a world of pain. And then there's another part of me that's like, yes, it's incredibly important that very large platforms don't simply determine how everyone uses and applies web technologies. Instead, the core platform right. should be secure. Yeah, but take it away for a moment and turn it into, like, a library that you build a post like that y'all are still working on. Oh, yeah, um, no. That, that would You know, for some reason, the Chrome Dev team just doesn't like it. Or they have a competing library that they'd rather you use. That's a bad, that's a gross feeling. It's a bad, bad. Yeah. I, I have a, the term, I, what about uh, emeritus or emeritus? It's em, emeritus, I think. Yeah. Emeritus. Yeah, it's yeah, a, emeritus. It's a yeah. library. that The library's got emeritus status, you know. It's still there. It's still welcome. To, it comes to all those events at the college. Right. Um, it yeah. still teaches like one class or like. Shouldn't still be coming to parties, but somehow it does. It does. Puts on the fancy wizard robes for uh, for the graduation ceremony. Yeah. So we got a question to the podcast email yes. asking if we could talk a little bit more about what's going on with relocation and what's going on with changing benefits, because Sarah and I had chatted about this a little. So there's a story from Bloomberg from yesterday, Stripe workers who relocate get a $20,000 bonus and then a 10% pay cut. So you leave San Francisco and New York, you head to the to the middle of the country, they'll give you 20 grand and then a 10% pay cut. And then <laughs> there's a, a long thread here on our programming, sort of trying to work that out. Well, if you move to Ohio and Kentucky with a 10% pay cut and a 40% cut in the cost of living, you might come out ahead. Are you saying I have hippos in my swimming pool? I'm not saying you can't. And then there's a, a long digression here on whether or not hippos can live in Ohio. But bigger picture, I think this is pretty interesting that, you know, a lot of people are considering relocating. It isn't just COVID now, it's COVID plus the wildfires, which have Mm. hit California again and again and again, and really affected the Bay Area. And I wonder if we're going to see this like sort of mass migration of people to other areas. Yeah, well, Ben, you could talk about it. You've given up on New York City and (laughs) the people, the city that birthed you. And now you've run to northern New York. Right. Yeah, where's my $20,000 bonus? I don't know. It hasn't arrived yet. I'm waiting. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I made my decision based on the fact that I had two young kids, and so we just felt like we needed space. And also, I made my decision based on the fact that I really wanted them to get in-person school, and they're offering that up here and not offering that really in New York. So those are my decisions. The hippos were a plus. The hippos were definitely a plus. But I also was reading this big story about, like, you know, the fact that, yeah, climate change is making these significant sort of disaster events happen more often and happen more aggressively. And that there's, you know, sort of a scientific consensus that a lot of people are going to be moving away from the coast over the next 20 years. So I feel like maybe we're starting to see the beginning of what could be like a, I don't know what you want to call it, an inlanding, a moving in, a moving inwards, a moving north and moving in. An inland migration. Yeah. 
this always comes up for, we're a small org. The rates for talent tend to be about, they, they level out even over like the course of a couple of years, you'll find that there are very few, there are very few bargains in the world. It's definitely right. like cost of living factors in when you're determining comp, probably, what was it? Like they said, a, a 10% reduction. Yeah. 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 That's probably about normal. I mean, I just like, it doesn't, I don't know. You have to be at a really significant scale in order to think in that macro way about people's right. salaries. In general, what happens in a smaller org is you're like, oh, that seems pretty good. No, they're living out there. All right, well, that's fine. Let's just make it work. You don't think about the macroeconomic picture. You think about the individual and you think about like where they're at and what they're asking for. And where, where you see it is like, if someone's moving to New York City to be closer to our firm, we're going to need to comp them more because the cost of living is is greater. And that's happened a couple of times. So it's just, it's more, it's often more in the other direction than it is in this sort of like, like, look, I'm in a services business. I need an office where people can come and see how we work and talk to us. That is real. I, yeah, I can't see the cool snacks your developers. For real. Like there is yeah. an element of like, that's how humans make decisions. And if you want to factor that out and have a story about how that could all work remotely, that's great. Go build that firm like that. I think you could probably even succeed. But the pattern that I know works involves a lot of interaction with human beings around big tables. And so like that's going to happen again because that's how humans are. But will it change a lot because we went through an incredibly disruptive and really long period of time where we had to reevaluate a lot of the ways we work? Absolutely. Things will change. Yeah. It says here in a poll of about 6,000 people, 44% said they'd be willing to make the trade, take the pay cut. But, you know, move somewhere where I guess they feel like they have Come on, space. the Bay Area literally sucks right now. It's $8 million for an apartment. <laughs> you know, everybody kind of, ridiculous. Everybody hates each you other. You can't go outside. You can't breathe. And it's yeah. on fire. <laughs> and if you're a person who lives there and loves it, like that is, you're going to connect to it in a lot of different ways. But if you're somebody who moved there from a place where you can have a reasonable life and you don't truly want to be there. Oh, yeah. No, I'll tell you my experience. And like, this isn't 80 years ago. This is like five years ago while I was building Jewelbots. We did a hardware accelerator. Uh, in San Francisco. And for $1,500 a month, I was able to live in an apartment with 10 other adults. Mm. Um, <laughs> and the apartment was like someone's garage. And we were commanded by our landlord to not answer any questions of anyone that walks up on to us on the street with questions about where we're living. So, <laughs> oh, my <yep>. God. <laughs> for the low, low okay. price. Right, right. No, I mean, that, that. it's just that criminality. And it's here. And look, I get a lot of people over the years who are like, should I move to New York City? My answer is typically, I mean, it's really up to you. You should figure out ways to spend time here first. But if someone is over 30 and they have kids or they are in a settled life. The answer is no. Well, it's not. Yeah. It's not a no. It's just like you will be giving up a lot and probably a lot more than you consider. And the way I describe it is like an urban area is essentially a large technology of its own, right? Like it's just a set of interlocking technologies that you can either commit to master, but there are tremendous trade-offs. And yeah, like right. I love those trade-offs, and that attracted me to the place. And that's why I never left. But if I was Living in an eight-room house 
in a nice state in a good small city near universities with like cool bookstores and good coffee. And my friends were there and I moved to New York City and suddenly I had three rooms and my kids were yelling and I was in a part of Brooklyn where the pictures of the apartment didn't show that the walls were actually made out of thin sheets of tinfoil. Paper machine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, like, you get so screwed over until you learn how transactions work here. Asked four years ago, our lifeboat of the week, code stops executing when a user clicks on the console window. I've got a console application that executes my code without user interaction, but if they click, uh-oh, all execution stops. And then we've got an answer here. This happens if you have quick edit mode enabled on the console window. And then they've got some code here to help them handle this error. So shout out to Jim Michelle for that lifeboat and helping people click. Helping people click. Awesome. Yeah, helping the people click. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. And you can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. If you're having an experience as a software developer where you're thinking about moving or your company is offering up some kind of incentive that deals with salary, we'd like to hear about it because I think this is a topic that's on a lot of people's minds and we're curious to know what y'all are thinking. And I'm Sarah Chips, Director of Community here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on GitHub at Sarah Joe. Please check out my friend Jeff's Kickstarter. It is bit.ly forward slash books Kickstarter. And I'm Paul Ford, friend of Stack Overflow, co-founder of Postlight. A, uh, you know what? Just go check us out, postlight.com. That I won't even try to explain. Great digital services firm. That's what we like to hear. <laughs>